Father, we have come with open hearts, and if we haven't opened them now, your Spirit would work in us and move in us to open our hearts to hear your words. These words that have been kept for centuries and centuries and millennia, that we would have them to to grow us and change us and have us to know Christ more, to live more for your glory and for Christ's sake. Father, I pray that this these tithes and offerings that we brought would be would be useful. Father, that we would be wise in their use and that they would they would bear fruit. They would bear fruit of salvation and sanctification. Father, prepare our hearts, prepare my tongue, and may may you be exalted. May Christ be made much of in our speaking and our listening as we open your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. It seems there's another attempt by the government or the powers that be or the zeitgeist or whatever we might call it, certainly by the spirit of the age to to distract us and make us afraid once again. Uh, similar to what I think we went through uh, a couple years ago with the COVID scare, uh, I think we're now entering into a time of the UFO or alien scare. And I'm not kidding. Wait and see. It's already started. It's the next thing that's coming to scare us and to distract us. In a temporal sense, to scare everyone into needing the government even more for protection against aliens and UFOs. And and from a spiritual sense, to distract us from the gospel of Jesus Christ. To distract us from... uh, the reality of who God is and who He says He is. Um, this this past week, my my adult children, my mother-in-law, this this conversation is coming up around our household, and it's incredible how how the conversation goes around. Hey, maybe there's another another. This Bible's just for us, and there's another Bible written for other places and people, and just the way people's minds can go. I think it's important that as Christians we have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview about these things. So what do we think or what ought we think? Well, there's nothing in scriptures that would would allow for life on other planets. There's nothing in scripture. We know that Jesus Christ came to earth to redeem his people. Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee, in Israel, in on planet earth. Uh, and so if there's life forms on other planets, they do not have souls that will never die and they are not redeemable. Uh, so uh, it really is inconsequential. There's, there's no human-like life form superior to us. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. Man and woman, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. The, the only place that souls that will never die live are here on earth. This is where Christ came. The, um, the, there very well might be, well, there are. There are unidentified flying objects because there's things that fly around. We don't, I don't know what they are. I can't identify what's flying around all the time. Um, but, but as far as UFOs, if they're there, they are from the spirit of the age. They're there to distract us. They're there to scare us. If, if, if the devil manifests himself through, through those types of things, I can have room for that. But they're there to scare us and distract us. 
they're there to, 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 to frighten us and to have us be afraid and not, not have our hope and our trust in, in Christ. This is, this is another way to devalue human life by creating something that's superior to us outside of us, which goes against what God says about who we are and how we've been created in His image. There are aliens, us, brothers and sisters. We're aliens in this world. This is not our home. Uh, there are, there are, and we'll look at it a little bit today, but the, 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 the devil, the spirit of the age, Satan, is a very powerful being in God's design. And, and these things, if they're being manifested, they're being manifested uh, falsely by his children, by those that are children of the devil, or supernaturally. But there is no life form higher than us anywhere else. There is no room for that in Scripture. There is no reason to even entertain the, the, the nonsensical discussions that distract from the gospel with the very people you're talking to. They want to create another God in their own minds, another God that would have other, other um, universes and, and, other, and other life forms and, and other gospels for other places. And it gets away from the reality of who they are and what they need. They need forgiveness of their sins to be found in Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, Israel, planet Earth. So don't be carried away in these foolish arguments. Have a, have a worldview that stays grounded in the Scriptures. This is the next thing. Who else knows? But it's here. I'm telling you, it's here, and you're going to see more and more of it. And it's just an attempt to distract. It's just an attempt to, to, to bring fear and to make a people more reliant on a God called government. Okay, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We'll be in verses 14 through 23 today. Today's sermon, I think, is extremely important. Every sermon is extremely important. I think I say this regularly these days. I think last week's sermon, by the way, was very important. Very blessed by it. Uh, and and and, but but I think that that there, the the reality that there is no neutrality regarding Jesus is a very important thing for us to understand and remember. There is no neutrality regarding Jesus. So please stand. I'll read verses 14 through 23 in Luke 11. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. 
But when one's stronger, then, then he attacks and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. You may be seated. In today's passage, we're going to see Jesus show the absurdity of rejecting his deity and his power and his authority. He uses an, an axiom and a parable to make it clear how ridiculous it is to reject him as the sovereign, the king, the king of kings, the supreme power in the universe. But also, not only those who outright reject him, but but those who who believe that he's powerful or believe in him some way, yet yet not sure if he is the way to God, not sure that he is who he says he is. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to start at the end of this passage, and then we'll go back to the beginning of the passage. Because I think the whole point of this is the end of the passage. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is very straightforward and simple to understand. There is no neutrality regarding Jesus. There is no in the middle. Everyone who can hear my voice is either with Jesus or you are against him. There is no middle ground. Make sure you understand this. In time, in this moment, right now, sitting in this room, there are those who are with Jesus and there are those who against are against Jesus. And there is no one neutral. You might think you're neutral. We might think our children are neutral. We must remember there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. This is his main point. You are either in the kingdom of God or you're in the dominion of darkness. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Remember this as we go through today's passage. And I'll, and I'll reference it again. But it's important that we know that every human being is in that place in time. What that doesn't mean is if you're against him that you'll forever be against him. There's a way to be with him. But know that right now in this moment you are either with him or you are against him. And that goes for those who who profess they're with him. Look, brothers and sisters, if we're with him, nothing can change that. If we're not with him, that can be changed. That can be altered. Not in the mind of God, but in our from our perspective, that can be changed. But you have to first understand you're one of those two places. If you think you're neutral, you're damned. If you think neutrality is an okay place to be, you're damned. There's no neutrality. Okay. Another demon cast out and the masses marvel. 
Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. We're back in verse 14 now, the beginning of this passage. Look, Jesus has been showing his authority over demons, over the weather, over over uh, sicknesses, even death for the last two and a half years or so. Ever since he came out of the 40 days in the desert, preaching the kingdom of God, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Ever since then, he's been showing his his authority and his power. This muteness that had come upon this man, this particular man was mute. Now, we, we see, we saw a mute man earlier in Luke's gospel. Luke, well, a number of places, but Luke chapter 1. And when he, Zechariah is who's being talked about here, came out out of the temple, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs of them and remained mute. Now, God had made Zechariah mute because Zechariah did not listen to the angel Gabriel, didn't believe that he could give a child to he and Elizabeth in their old age, and God made him mute. And then, and then when he, he said, hey, we're naming my son John, because that's what the angel Gabriel had told him to name him, instead of a name after him or something that would make more sense, God returned his speech to him. So certainly, God can make one mute. God can make one anything. God is completely sovereign. But the muteness that we see here is because of a demon. And Jesus has been showing his authority or his power over those all throughout. Luke chapter 4. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Again in Luke eight twenty-seven, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. So we see that, that Jesus, this, this man and this man, they were, they were controlled by demonic forces. They were under the influence of demons. And those, those that was manifesting themselves in certain ways, and Jesus then showed his authority over these demons. He's been showing this ongoingly. He, he, he see that, that Jesus had the power to command these demons. To take, them, to take this person out of Satan's control and into his control. But we, we do see clearly the devil has people in his power. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world, except for those who are in Christ, lie in the power of the evil one. Everyone is under the power of the evil one that is not in Christ. The devil is powerful. The devil is the second most powerful being there is. 
He is the most powerful creature ever created. He is powerful. He has control over those who aren't in Christ. The prince of the power of the air has control all of those who have not entered God's kingdom. Ephesians 2, 2, in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And what the contemporaries of Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee and in Judea, what they had been witnessing, even in Samaria some, they'd been witnessing and rejecting Jesus' deity and authority even over those demons who were controlling people. So now he's in Judea. And back to verse 14, he's casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. The people, the aklas, the crowd, the multitude, common people, not leaders or wealthy, the the multitude, the crowds, the normal Jew there in Judea that was witnessing this, they marveled through Maso. They wondered, they amazed, they were marveling. So the majority of this crowd that was watching this take place marveled. They They were marveling at Jesus' power, just like they had everywhere else he had gone. He had many crowds following him because of the miracles he was doing, because of things he could provide them. They would reject when the gospel was preached, but many marveled at him. Now, there was a small group of them, Pharisees and Sadducees, that by this time, and the scribes, they were aggressively trying to have him killed, have him uh, put down, because he was uh, uh, challenging their positions of authority. So some of them blaspheme and mock. Most of the crowd marveled. Like like most of a crowd in this room marvel at Jesus and who God is. Marvel at the ways their lives may be different than the lives of those that they know outside of this church or outside of their family. I know there are people in, in mine and my wife's life who, who marvel at the changes God wrought in our lives through Jesus Christ. They, they just it's inexplicable and they marvel at that. And they don't they don't even they don't even necessarily reject Jesus and what he's done in our lives. They don't blaspheme him and, and, and mock him. They're fairly neutral, it would appear. Now, but some of them blaspheme and mock. This subset of of this big group, this subset that blasphemed and mocked were the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, those who were in power in Judaism and didn't want that power to go away. Those who were were preaching a gospel of religion or a gospel of works uh, were expecting Jesus to come and make them a great nation, not expecting the kingdom of God to come through the forgiveness of sins and repentance. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. He casts out demons by Beelzebul. Now, is it Beelzebul or Beelzebub? In like New King James and King James, it's Beelzebub. In this, it's Beelzebul. 
both coming from Baal Zebub in the Old Testament. The name Baal Zebub was the name of a Phoenician god that was worshipped at Ekron in the Old Testament. We see it in Second Kings. And it means Lord of the Flies. Now, Beelzebul is a better translation. Beelzebub actually meant Lord of the Flies. Beelzebul was the, was the name that had been given, and it means Lord of Dung. So it was a name commonly given to Satan in Judaism, in, in the Jewish culture, Beelzebul, and it means Lord of Dung. Dung is worse than flies because he is the Lord of the vile and the despicable. So he was the Lord of Dung, Beelzebul. So these men, watching Jesus cast out demons, cast out a demon that made this mute man speak again, said, yeah, he's doing that by the power of the Lord of Dung. He's doing that under the, under the power of Satan. They're blaspheming him. In Matthew's Gospel, in a different happening of this, we see the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit there and, and how, how that's not pardonable. But, but this name, Beelzebul, was a very established name that the listeners understood of this. And, and when, when, when they spoke this to Jesus, everyone in that crowd understood. They were saying to him, You are working for the Lord of Dung. You are working for Satan. It was, a, it was an intentional pejorative. It was a very aggressive way of speaking about Jesus or to Jesus. Very condescending. Others, so some were saying that, and others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. John 10, Jesus answered him, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Jesus had told them, Believe my words because of the works that I do. And they wouldn't believe his word because of the works. They just kept wanting more works. Give us more stuff. Heal more people. Show us more signs. Luke eleven twenty nine coming up, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The Jews kept demanding a sign, and a sign from heaven. So, okay, you, you made this mute man talk, but do something up there in the clouds. Do some of the weather. Do something. Give us more. Something more cosmic. So the Jews were demanding a sign. They, they were fools. as They didn't want to believe in the two and a half years of Miracles that Jesus had done, the authority that he had shown, the deity that he had, had shown that he has, and then the message that he preached. They, they didn't want that. They wanted more, they wanted more marvelous signs. They wanted, wanted more fixing of diseases. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of God, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but us who are being saved is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of that which we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demanded science and Greeks seek wisdom. So you, so you have the, the masses in Judea in this place marveling 
at what Jesus had done in casting out the demon. Then, and, and, and the religious elite, the Pharisees and the scribes, these leaders, they're, they're blaspheming Jesus kind of under their breath, as we'll see. Jesus knew what they were saying. But he, they're, they're claiming that he's casting out demons, that, for, that, he's, that they're wanting more signs, and they're claiming that he's casting out demons by the power of the Lord of Darth, by Satan himself. So Jesus is going to give an axiom that exposes their absurdity. An axiom, just in case we don't know, is an established rule or principle or a self-evident truth. An axiom is something that is self-evidently true. It's, a, it's a, an established rule. So he says this in verse 17. But he, he, knowing their thoughts, they were mumbling amongst themselves. But because he's God, he knows their thoughts. He said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. Kingdoms and households will fall if they are divided amongst themselves. This is an axiom. This is a, this is a little bit of a side path, but I want to take it for a second. If you all aren't on the same page, your household will fall. If husband and wife are divided, if we are schizophrenic in how we think we should live life, our households will fall. Any kingdom or any household, uh, where have you heard this saying? Everyone, almost everyone, well, we don't do world history anymore or American history, but Abraham Lincoln, when he was, re, he was, he was receiving the, the nomination to be the Republican U.S. Senate candidate, and he ended up losing that, that race, but in that race he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It's, a, it's an obvious truth, and he was speaking about slavery, the North and the South, and you can't have a nation where some have slaves and some don't. That will fall, and that civil war came, and we became a nation without slaves. But you cannot, you cannot be divided against yourself. And this is what Jesus is telling them. And they would have been those, these learned scribes, these learned Pharisees, these, these religious lawyers, these teachers of the law. They'd have been saying, yep, that's true. That is very true. Obviously, that's true. So he says, Every kingdom divided itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. In other words, what sense would it make for Satan to use me to cast out his demons that were controlling this person. Why would he want to remove his minion from this man's control, from controlling this man? Why he would be going against himself? That makes, that's absurd. The absurdity of thinking Jesus is someone other than God and acting in the power of God is just absurd. It would make no sense, you idiots, for me, for Satan to use me to cast out his demons from controlling this person he's already controlling. He wouldn't be divided against himself. His, he would tear down his own kingdom. 
he would be attacking his own kingdom. That's absurd. Verse 19, he goes on. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So the Jews had exorcists. In Judaism, there were exorcists. And they would go around attempting to cast out demons, claiming to cast out demons. In my mind, they're more like the hucksters of this day, the the faith healers who don't really do anything, but that's what they would do. And, And they would say they were God's representatives to bring comfort to God's people. And the way they were going to do that was to alleviate their pain by casting out the demons. Are you saying that they're doing that by the power of Beelzebul? Let them judge you. They're telling you they're going on God's behalf behalf to, to remove demons. You would not say the removing of demons by your own people was the devil's work. That makes that's, Let them judge you. They'll let you know that's not the case. You're condemning your own people, your own exorcists, your own professionals when you speak that way. 2 Corinthians 11, And no wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This was what these Jewish exorcists were doing. But they were going around disguising themselves as angels of light when they were really angels of the devil. We see some of these Jewish exorcists in Acts 19.13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the name, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? So later on, we see they're trying to cast out demons, and now they've come to understand, well, I better invoke Jesus' name because I'm here on behalf of God, and Jesus seemed to be able to accomplish this, so let me try to do that. And the devil basically says, I I don't know you. You're an imposter. So Jesus says, look, if I'm casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, are not your exorcists doing the same thing? Let them judge you. It's an idiotic claim that Beelzebul would be using me to cast out his own minions who are controlling this man's tongue. And your very own people are doing the same thing, and you would certainly not say they are doing it in the power of Satan. So he's casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he, now listen, some are marveling. They aren't speaking these things. They aren't blaspheming and mocking him. They're just marveling. Give us more. We like this. They aren't calling him Lord. They aren't believing on him for the salvation of their souls. They're not repenting of their sins. They're simply marveling at his power. But they aren't mocking him. But they are in the exact same position against him, not for him. Not gathering with him, but scattering. Now he was casting a demon who was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. 
And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So Jesus has exposed the, the murmurings of these few amongst the crowd who are blaspheming him and mocking him. He is, he is showing with, with a simple axiom how ridiculous their claim of him was working for Beelzebul. In the listening of all these folks, he's showing the ridiculousness of their claim, of their, of their charge. And then he tells them the truth. The kingdom of God had come upon them. He says, but, and that's day, that's a marker of contrast. So, you say, erroneously, ridiculously, that I cast out demons by the power of Beelzebul. But, in contrast to that, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. We see that this is an if-then statement. It isn't, though, an if-then statement as if the if is something that is possible or not possible. We've looked at this before, but the word if there is ai. It means because or since. It's a marker of cause or reason. This is important because this would be better rendered, but because or since it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. And because it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's not test this. He's telling them this is what's happening. And when he says finger of God, he's making a very clear anthropomorphism that they would all have understood very well. When he says the finger of God, this Judean crowd would understand. In Exodus thirty-one eighteen, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony. Tablets of stone written with the finger of God. The very finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets, and Moses brought those down, and they would know what Jesus was saying to them is, I don't, I don't cast out demons by the power of the Lord of Dung. I am the finger of God. I am casting him out by the power of God. I am God. Psalm 8, 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, the fingers of God created all the universe. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments on tablets. These, when he says, but and because, or then since, it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. He is making a very direct and clear claim that's telling them who he is and how he's doing the things he's doing. Even more of a direct application of the finger of God as it pertained to the, the miracles that were happening is found in Exodus. And this, is, this is the third of the ten plagues. When Moses and Aaron were, were going to Pharaoh and saying, let, let my people go. God says, let his people go. And the plagues were coming. This is the third of those ten. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast, 
All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So Aaron used the staff, touches the dust, gnats everywhere. The Pharaoh's magicians, working for the devil, working for Pharaoh, they try to do the same. They cannot do it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Jesus says to them, This is the finger of God that had this mute man speak. And what do they do? They harden their hearts even further. Just like Pharaoh had done. He's telling them. And when they hear this, they know exactly what he's saying. I'm not here by the power of Beelzebul. You're trying to embarrass me in front of all these crowds who are marveling. Let me tell the actual case. I'm actually doing this by the power of God because I am God. And they hardened their hearts even further. The casting out of demons was by the power of God, not of Satan. And he's using this parable, this 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 statement, this, this, this verbiage to have them say that. So, and since it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, since that's the case, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The fact that this is the work of God through me, then what that means is the kingdom of God is upon you. It's here. I am. Jesus is saying, I am the kingdom of God. I am the salvation of God. I am entry into God's kingdom. It's right here and it's me. And you're calling me a demon or a a worker of Beelzebub. The kingdom of God is here. The sign pointing to this destination the sign that Jesus is doing, the finger of God doing these works, pointing to who He is, the way into heaven. John 3, 1. And there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to him, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The way of rebirth, the way of regeneration, the way of salvation is here. And the power over demons proves that it is here and I am it, is what Jesus is telling them. That he is, the kingdom of God is here. He doesn't come... The kingdom of God wasn't on this planet. He didn't come to give them what they wanted to make Israel great again. He came to bring salvation to his people. And that was there. And what he was doing this miracle for was to point them to that reality. You see, it's not Beelzebul's power. It's God's power that is doing these things because salvation is here. John fourteen six. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. Jesus was plainly telling him that the authority he had over that demon was from God and of God. It was the finger of God pointing to the way of salvation, him. Believe that, and you'll be with me. Marvel at all the works I do, or blasting me, and you're against me. Jesus now goes on to tell a parable to point to the reality that he is the strongest one. That yes, you watch Satan tame a man's tongue, he couldn't even speak. That's pretty darn powerful. Satan had had demon-controlled men that were naked and couldn't be chained. He had people that were that 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 were that were possessed and they couldn't hear, they couldn't speak, and he and he healed all of that. But he's saying, "Look, the devil's strong. You see it. You see the devil's control over people. But Jesus is the strongest one. He is the premier authority. He is the King of Kings. Here's the parable, verse twenty-one." When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. When a strong man guards his own palace with with being fully armed, his stuff is safe. The devil owns, has, people in his kingdom in his dominion and there's no getting to them he's fully armed fully guarded you can't get in and do anything about that that strong man has it protected Jesus is acknowledging that the strength of Satan is is strong that, that he has the strength to protect that, that, that he has possessions in fallen human beings and he has got them guarded and he's fully armed. Verse 22. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor and when, and in which he trusted and divides his spoil. When the stronger one attacks... When Jesus attacks Satan, when Jesus attacked Satan at the cross, taking on the wrath of God, when Jesus attacks Satan, when Jesus takes down all of his guards and, and, and armor, the stronger one attacks, he takes his spoil and divides it. Jesus destroys the weaponry of the devil and divides his spoil. A strong man is overtaken by a stronger man. This is the parable he's telling for them to understand what they're dealing with, what they're looking at. The devil's strong. He has he has a very impenetrable, impenetrable fortress, keeping his children hid. Listen, no one is able to break free from Satan's sway or grasp on their own. You cannot do it. If you find yourself 
tired of your sin, wanting to be different, trying your best to get out of the predicament you're in by being better, you have no way out. The strong man's got you. Your only hope is that the stronger would come and rescue you. That you would turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to bring you out of the dominion of darkness. Because He's the strongest one. You cannot get out on your own. That mute man had no chance of ever speaking again in and of himself. He can go to all the speech therapists he wants. He can take medicines. He can do whatever he wanted to do. And he needed Jesus Christ of Nazareth to cast out the demon that he could speak again. No one is able to break free of the chains of the devil. But there is a stronger one who can free you, and his name is Jesus. Ephesians 2, 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in sons of disobedience. 1 John five nineteen. we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Who's the principality of the air, the prince of the power of the air? Whose, whose power does the world lay under? The devil. He who is in the world, Jesus far greater than him. Jesus is the strongest. He can overcome the control of Satan. They need, we need, everyone needs Jesus to save us from the strong control of the devil. For Christians, Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. This is what He has done. The strong man, the devil, is attacked and overcome by the stronger man, Jesus. And He takes Tony and He makes him His possession. Because the blood of Christ pays for and releases God's people from the dominion of darkness. The stronger one, Jesus, comes and takes his possession. But one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is what Jesus has done. So until and unless Jesus delivers you, saves you, then you are under the stronghold of the devil with no way out. You are without hope except for Jesus Christ. 
Either you're in the kingdom of God via Jesus' efforts, or you're in the power of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air. You're in one of two places. There is no neutrality. And both the masses and the blasphemers are in the same place. They're against Jesus because they're not with him. They're not in him. He's not in them. Everyone is either with Jesus or against him. Back to where we started. Verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. There is no middle ground. Everyone there that day in the masses or in those blaspheming, blaspheming and or demanding more signs, they're in the same boat. Now, judgment might be worse for those blasphemers. But all of them were in the dominion of darkness and headed to hell. The only ones who weren't were those who were in Christ, who he had rescued, who had put their faith and trust in him. Paul's experience on the road to Damascus, Acts 26, 14, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen. You have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they, may turn, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Every person must have their eyes open to turn from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's what it is to be born again. That's what it is to be a Christian. That you you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You recognize you're not neutral. You are against God. If you are not with Christ. If you have not put your faith and trust in Christ. Confessed Him. Believed on Him. Trusting in Him. Then you are against Him. Revelation three fifteen and 16. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. <laughs> so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is very difficult for me. Because many, most, most of you in here, I've never heard you blaspheme God or Jesus. I've never seen you say, okay, Jesus, give me more signs and then I'll believe. But I know that you're neutral. And you think that neutrality or being in a Christian family or knowing the truths of who God is and not fighting against that has you be okay with him. 
and you're simply not. You're either for Him, with Him, or you're against Him. There is no neutrality regarding Jesus. Please listen to me. There is no neutrality. Uh, I'm not sure. Are you a Christian? I don't know. Are you a sinner? Do you sin against the God who created you? Do you recognize and understand that you will receive punishment for those sins? Do you know that Jesus Christ came, God the Son came to live as a man, live a life without sin, and then go to the cross to take on the punishment for your sins? Do you know that there is release from the devil? See, but you don't even want to believe, and parents don't even want to believe their children are in that predicament. We don't want to believe that we're actually under the control of the devil. But you're either in you're in the dominion of darkness, under the power of the devil, or you're in the kingdom of God, in Christ, forgiven. There's no neutrality. Today, today is the day of salvation. If you believe what I'm telling you, confess Christ as your Lord and your Savior and be saved. It's either eternal life and glory or the control of Satan headed to an eternity of punishment, wrath, and misery in hell. It's one or the other. There is no purgatory. There is no middle ground. There is no, well, I'll wait till I'm 37 like you, Dad, and then I'll get saved. Because you're not promised tomorrow. Today, in time. But here's what I know. Some of you will be saved. Some of you Christ died for. Come out from the darkness and into the light. Closing thought. There is no neutrality regarding Jesus. We are either with Him or against Him. There's no neutral. There's no 5149. You're either with Him or you're against Him. We are either saved or we are lost. We are either a child of God or a child of Satan. We either loved we are either loved by and love Jesus and serve him or we stand with those who hate him and serve the devil the most heinous sinner you know the 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 pedophile murderer thief that person if you are not loving Christ serving him saved you stand with this man In the same place he is. Whether you've done those things or not, if you aren't believing on Christ, that is where you stand. With the ones that were saying, you heal with the power of 
the Lord of dung. You're standing with them. That's where you stand. There's no middle ground. For us who have believed, we can praise God and thank Him that we have been rescued by the strongest one and are forever safe with Him. Brothers and sisters, what a great reminder. The strongest one has come and plundered, has taken down the stronghold of the enemy and has rescued us out and brought us out of the dominion of darkness into the love of Christ where we cannot be moved, we cannot be taken out of His hand. Praise God. The schemes of the devil no longer work against us. If you have not believed on Jesus, you are no better off than those who blasphemed him, claiming he was controlled by Satan or demanded more signs from him. If you have not believed on Jesus, and... If you say, I'm not sure, that's neutral. Yes, I've believed. Yes, I'm trusting in Christ. No, I don't know what that means perfectly, but I know that without Christ, I'm doomed and I'm damned. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, came as a man to live a sinless life and died a sacrificial death to rescue his people from the dominion of Satan and save them from the wrath of God. Today is the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? If you don't know Christ, what are you waiting for? What has you claim neutrality? Better you be cold or hot. Believe what you've been being told most of your life. Believe on Jesus. And be saved. Be healed. Be forgiven. What are you waiting for? Some of you I've talked to face to face. You've heard me ask you this question. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Not sure. What aren't you sure of? Are you not sure you're a sinner? Are you not sure that you cannot pay for your own sins? Are you not sure that God created you and gave you rules to live by? Are you not sure that you fall short of perfection? Are you not sure that Jesus is perfect? Are you not sure that he died to pay for the sins of those who would believe in him? What aren't you sure of? What is it? What is it? Are you going to harden your heart? When you hear of Christ, are you going to believe on him and be baptized? What are you going to do? Why not today? 
Why not be sure? And oh, brothers and sisters, if you ever, ever struggle with assurance to the point where you say, I'm not sure, what aren't you sure of? What are you hoping in? Yourself, your performance, your faith, what are you hoping in? The stronger one has come. And the devil's strong, but he ain't that strong. He's stronger than you, but he's not stronger than him. And he is ours, and we are his if we put our faith and trust. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the strongest one coming to save your people. Father, help us. Help us to remember as we talk with people, help us to remember that there is no neutrality, that even as as we can be sucked into the really nice Mormon, they are neutral. Father, the the children that we love, there is no neutrality. Father, I'm thankful and I'm hopeful and I know that you will turn hearts toward you. Pray, Father, that you would be doing that now by the power of your Spirit. I pray your Spirit would be moving upon hearts. That mouths would be open to confess Christ as Lord. We pray all these things in his matchless name. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn 419. Hear the call of the kingdom. Him 419.